great privilege for me to share this morning's message. Uh, while we were attending the Build Conference this week, we had so many great moments of importation. And I must be honest, I changed my sermon in my mind probably seven times. Every time I listened to a speaker, I thought, wow, oh, that was great. I must do that on Sunday. <laughs> um, but I am excited to share with you that what God has placed on my heart. And a bit, as a bit of an intro, I want to give you a, a background of who we are as a church. Uh, as you might know, as some of you might know, we are part of an international family of churches, an international movement of churches that is not focused on building our own name, but we are absolutely convicted and committed to make disciples, to reach the lost, and to raise leaders and plant churches and campus ministries in every nation. If you were to ask, why is there a movement like every nation? That's the reason. We believe God has called us to be a spiritual family across the world that makes disciples reach the lost, plant churches and campus ministries in every nation. And we're absolutely committed to do that. And therefore, you would very rarely hear us focus in a moment like this, from a stage like this, on ourselves. Because we believe that God has called us to reach those who's not here. And as we're doing that, as we're committed to the outward focus of the calling of this church, we believe God does, does something healthy inside of us. So we do value growth. We do value your soul. We do value what we do as a family. And we do value that we want to see this congregation grow so much more, but we're not going to do it at the cost of not reaching nations. Currently, as a, a global family of churches, we're almost in 90 different nations across the world. Harry, do you have the exact number? 88. Wow. Any one of you that's willing to go to two nations, then we got 90. <laughs> we'll help you, train you, we'll pray for you, we'll send you. 88 different nations where we have at least one disciple-making church in that nation, and we're trusting for more. This past week, we heard at our Southern Africa Build Conference that in our Southern Africa region, we have more than 80 different churches. That's Namibia, South Africa, Botswana, and Mozambique. More than 80 different churches across our region. What a great privilege that we have to reach nations. See, 15 years ago, it's almost 15 years ago, Philip and Renee um, had this call of God to come and plant a church in Pretoria from Stellenbosch. Now, you know that Philip and Renee hears the voice of God. Because if God calls you from Stellenbosch to come to Pretoria, it's a move of God. We were there in Cape Town, and I was like, God, speak to me. <laughs> he said, Jonathan, be quiet and go back. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. But for Philip and Renee, when they asked God, speak to us, he went, go up. Go to their place where there's few mountains and no ocean. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, together with a small team, they came to Pretoria with a vision not to be another church, but to be a disciple-making church. To plant a church 
that will transform this city. To plant a church that will reach lost people, not other church people. A church that gathers other Christians. But a church that will reach society through normal members like yourself. Normal people equipped to be ministers of the gospel that go out to friends and family, neighbors and co-workers and reach them with the gospel. A disciple-making church that will transform the city with every person that's being discipled into the call that God has placed on their lives. Being part of this spiritual family, I do hope you're being discipled. I do hope you are growing to become more like Jesus, and I do hope that in your discipleship, you're not only being pointed towards Jesus, but you're walking on the call of making disciples. Because if we want to reach nations, we have to disciple the people next to us. We have to reach them next to us. 15 years ago, that was the vision. Today we can celebrate 15 years later. We're not just one church, but we're one church gathering on six different locations, six different congregations throughout the city. We're very nation Swanee, Lardes Park, Highfeld, Linwood, Mamalori, Rittendale, and Willows. I'm tempted to go, the best one is last, but <laughs> through 16 years, we've seen God's grace and being able to plant six different churches across our church, across the city. Different congregations, but one church. From this citywide church, we've had the privilege of not planting just churches in our city, but we've also seen churches planted and being charged, planted from us as a one church. We have planted in Mombela, Mike and Linda. We sent uh, Craig and Cordelia to join them there. We've planted in Tsanin, Willem and his wife Lorraine's doing a fantastic job reaching the people of Tsanin. We are planting a church in Utrecht, Philip and Marijke, sent from us to be in the Netherlands, to plant a disciple-making church. I can gladly testify this morning that currently they have between 30 and 40 people in connect groups in the city of Utrecht, people that's being reached in Europe because two people were willing to go. We've planted a church in Maputo, Mozambique. They're doing fantastic, Yanni and Wesley. It's tough, they're building that church, but they're doing well in reaching people. Hansi and Marna, currently in Zagreb, still learning the culture, still building relationships, but they're gonna plant a church. And these are not the only churches that we're involved with. There's so many other churches that we've been involved with, helping and growing. We're currently helping in East Africa with churches like Uganda and Burundi, Malawi. God is using this church and you being part of this spiritual family as an inheritance in the nations. You playing your part and doing your part, making disciples, reaching others, being faithful in your gifts and your tithes, in your talents, making a difference, not just in this family, but in the nations. And as we celebrate this this morning, it's not a moment to brag, it's not a moment to say we're better than others, it's a moment to celebrate God's grace that we experience because we're walking in the calling that God has placed on us as a family. And I want to invite you, envision you, that you're part of this. You're part of this. You're not just attending a Sunday service. You're part of the call of God to live for something greater. 
for his kingdom, for the nations. What a great privilege. Coming back to us as a church, we are many congregations and we're trusting God for more. We really want to reach the city. We need to plant more churches. And there's going to be a moment in our congregation where we're going to celebrate being together and being a spiritual family, but we're also going to go, some of you need to go. Not because we don't like you, but because others need you. And somewhere in the future of this church, we're going to go, a group of you need to go and plant in Montana. Any other prophetic area? And we're going to send you, no, somewhere in our city. <laughs> we're going to send you. And that's going to be a tough moment because we love each other, but it's going to be a moment of celebration because we're walking in the grace and calling of God. We want to plant more churches. But as we continue to grow and plant more churches, we're still one church. One vision and one calling. And therefore this morning we're starting a new sermon series called One. And this is our citywide sermon series, meaning throughout all our Tswane congregations, for the next three weeks, we're preaching on the same theme, one. Because we believe there's one God that deserves our honor. And we, as we grow, know that one of the things that we have to protect and fight for is that we stay one church. We celebrate our unity but we should never take it for granted and forget that God has called us to constantly build in unity to reach the nations. Because one congregation on its own won't do it. We are better together. And throughout this series, we're going to look at what are some of the things that helps us not only build the church, but stay one. Stay in unity. And I really want to encourage you, if you're part of our spiritual family, that you would commit to these next two weeks as well. We're one church, different congregations. What keeps us in unity? Unity is important. The Bible has quite a lot to say about unity. One of the scriptures, Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then the psalm ends with, For there the Lord has commanded his blessing. Life forevermore. God commands a blessing. On unity. What a great prospect and idea that God demands a blessing. If we want to grow as a citywide church, if we want to reach more people, if we want to plant more churches, we need to walk in unity because we need the blessings of God on us. But if there's a blessing on unity, there will also be a definite attack on unity. It would be a strategy of the enemy. So if we really desire the blessings of God as a church, we need to constantly pursue unity. So how do we stay united as a church? Well, we need to recognize that we need to unite around something greater than ourselves. We cannot unite around one person. We cannot unite around one leader. We cannot unite around a specific leadership gifting. It might be nice for a while until that leader leaves 
or until something happens to that leader. See, what we're building and what we're trusting God for needs to extend beyond the lifetime or expansion of a leader. We cannot build around a leader or a leadership gift because the calling is greater than one person. We cannot build around worship service experiences. What we unite around needs to be greater than experience. Because the danger of building around experiences is this morning you might have a great experience. But next week, someone else might be preaching and you might have a bad experience. Or next week we have some power failure and the worship just doesn't sound great because you can't hear them. Next week our sound guy might be ill. Whoever's on duty, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just using an example. You might pitch up at church and the sound might not be great. We might not sing the song. And the experience might not be that great. But we cannot unite around experiences because the calling is greater than experiences. See, we need to unite around something that's greater than people and experiences. See, as every nation, we believe we exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. Wherever you would go in the world, and you would be in every nation, this is the mission. This is what we believe we are called to. We exist to honor God. We believe there's one God, and we exist to honor Him. So the first and foremost thing that we unite around, the one that's greater than people in experience, is the honor of God. If we want to continue to build in unity, we have to continue to honor God. But what does that look like? When I say the honor of God, I'm sure all of us have a different picture of what does it mean to honor God. And therefore, this morning, I want us to look at a really specific scripture. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Revelations. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, not familiar with Christianity, I'm giving you give your heads up, just turn to the end. Okay. It's the last book that we find in the Bible. And in the book of Revelations, the apostle John are given a revelation, a vision of eternity in heaven. And in the book of Revelations, it's often a, a difficult book to read and understand. But for our, our purpose this morning, we're getting a glimpse of the end. And we're going to look at how does the honor of God look like at the end of days in order to give us a blueprint for the honor of God today. We're going to start with the end to give us a blueprint for now. So Revelation 7 Verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elder and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we see a glimpse of eternity, I pray this morning that you, by your spirit, would make your vision our vision. That you would speak to us and align us in your truth. And Lord, that you would use this moment to establish by your spirit and your word an honor in us as your people. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in this moment. And we also pray for your protection and guidance as we speak on this. Amen. Amen. And like I mentioned, it's difficult when you read Revelations. There's certain things that you read and you go, what? Where's this? What does this mean? And sometimes we make it overcomplicated. But looking at this picture and this vision of eternity, I want to suggest three ways that we can honor God today that is similar to the way that God will be honored in eternity. The first thing that we see of the Scripture, we honor God through our unity in diversity. See, there's often this idea that for unity, we must fight for sameness. We must all act the same, talk the same, be the same. It's almost as if there's this idea that for, for unity in the sameness, we have to abandon our differences, abandon our backgrounds, abandon our cultures, and we must build something new, a monoculture where all of us speak the same, look the same, and act the same. But in eternity, we see this picture of a multitude of people, of different backgrounds, different nations, tribes, ethnicities, and languages. I'm fascinated to think that there's this deliberate attempt in the Bible to communicate that there's diversity around the throne of God. Think about all the details that God needs to give us about eternity. This is one of the important details that he wants us to know. Around the throne of Jesus in eternity, there's diversity. Just mentioning it in so much detail should tell us it's important to God. And this is not the only reference to a multitude of different tribes and nations and languages. On five more occasions in the book of Revelations, this is mentioned. Around the throne of Jesus, there will be people that do not look the same, that do not talk the same, that do not sound the same. Different tribes, different languages, different nations. God values different people group. God values different languages. God values different cultures and different ethnicities. God made it that way. And it's so important for God that he will keep it that way in eternity. If it's important for God, it needs to be important for us. If God values different people, we need to value different people. We need to celebrate our different differences and we need to pursue unity in diversity. 
And let's be honest, this is not easy. It would probably be better. No, no, no. Let's rephrase that. It would probably be easier just to fellowship with people that looks the same, that acts the same, and talks the same as you do. Fighting for unity in diversity is difficult because different cultures brings divisions and misunderstandings. What might be normal and acceptable in one culture might be very offensive in another culture. The way we speak, the jokes we make, the things that we value, the way we act, the way we eat might be fine in one culture, completely different story in a different culture. See, whenever we mix cultures and ethnicities together, there's ample opportunity for offense. It's difficult. It's not easy. It's difficult because language and different languages bring certain barriers that leads to misunderstandings. Whenever we come together in different languages, we need to be really, really attentive to what languages we're using. And there needs to be grace. And we need to constantly, if we want to build unity in diversity, we need to be willing to choose the best. That's my starting point. That thing that Jonathan said was offensive to me, but maybe he didn't mean it that way. I choose the best first. Choosing the best in others. Choosing to forgive even before others say, I'm sorry. It's choosing to trust each other. And it's choosing to be vulnerable about our differences. It takes time. It takes a lot of grace. But we need to build unity in diversity. We cannot just stick with the people that looks the same as us. We cannot stick to environments that's comfortable for us and cultures that we're comfortable with. We'll never reach the nations. See, there's something about the character of God that is found in the diversity of people. Pastor Brett Fuller, one of our leaders in our movement, said the following, you cannot stay in the great pleasure of Almighty God just being with people like you. If we really follow God, who is a God of the nations, who is a God of different cultures. You know what? He would pull us close to Him and eventually He would pull us towards other cultures and nations as well because that's where His heart is. You cannot stay in the great pleasure of an almighty God just being with people like you. See, no single culture or people group can fully and accurately express God. We need each other. It's in our diversity and in the collective of our diversity that we get a better revelation of who God is. It's through our differences that we get to see God more. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, Paul writes to this church in Corinth and he says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. And those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Important. From now on. So Paul is saying, if you've experienced the gospel, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you have new life and the resurrection power in your life, if God has changed your life, 
through what Jesus did through the cross and resurrection. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. God has changed something in us, and therefore we cannot go on and live normal like we used to do. There's something that has changed, and we look at everyone else differently, not according to the flesh. See, in our attempt to find unity and diversity, we don't view each other from our earthly perspectives. We try and look at each other the way that God looks at us. We look for the image of Jesus. In each other. And we ask God, God, help me to see others the same way that you see them. Help me to see others with the same love and value that you see them. And our prayers are wrestled and nestled. And help me, Lord, to see what you see. See, the unity that I think we strive towards is not sameness but oneness, meaning in our differences and our diversities, there's one thing that keeps us together. That's the love of Jesus. Because I experience his love and because I love him back, I love others and I trust him to help me love them the way that he loves them. And we pursue the love of God and the love of others. It's the one thing that brings unity and diversity. It's the love of Jesus. And if we continue to build this way, if we build to unite in our differences, we will see him do something great by his spirit. We honor God by building unity and diversity. The second thing that we see from the scripture is we honor God through our worship. Around the throne of God, there is worship. And worship is really simply when we take the focus off ourselves and our circumstances, and we put it on God. We put the attention on God. It's when we declare that, God, you are God, and you alone are worthy. Bayeti, all hail, for he is holy. That you are God, and I am not. And you deserve the praise and glory. See, worship is so much more than just the songs that we sing. It's a lifestyle. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, for the early church, worship wasn't just songs. It was giving their lives. We can never reduce the worship of God back to songs. He's worth so much more. It's a living sacrifice. And as we as a church are willing to lay down our lives, to sacrifice our world, to sacrifice our kingdoms, to sacrifice our successes, to sacrifice everything we're building our lives around, and we say it's not about us, it's about you. We're living a lifestyle that says, Bayete, you are holy, you are worthy. Our worship is a response God, who he is and what he's done and what he promises to do, demands a response from us. We cannot say we, we cannot confess we serve this awesome God, and yet our lives do not reflect it. Worship is a lifestyle of laying my life down for his kingdom. And therefore, we worship God through our work, 
We worship God through the way that I treat my spouse, my children, the way we love other people, the way we forgive people, the way that I treat my money, what I live for, the way I manage my time. All of those things are ways that we worship God. Because through the way that we live, we want to reflect back to the world that there is a God that deserves so much more. The word worship comes from an old English word called worthship. And it literally means to give something worth, to add value, attribute value to something. So in, in our lifestyle of worship, we're deliberately choosing, God, I value you more. I value you more. And therefore, I worship you through my finances. I worship you through my relationships. I worship you through my time. I worship you in the way that I serve. I worship you in the way that I love and the way that I forgive because you are worth more. It's a lifestyle when I'm saying, God, I'll die to self because you deserve more. And if all of us worship God in this way, we will see the Spirit of God form a unity amongst us. When we say it's not about us, It's about him. It's not about every nation. It's not about willows. It's not about any other name but the name of Jesus. God will bless that. And there will be unity. But the last thing that I see about honor in this scripture is the thing that caught my intention the most in preparing for today. And it's the question that the elder asks John. Up until this point, John is explaining what he sees, and then there's this moment where one of the elders in heaven, and we presume it's an angel, turns to John, and he asks John, who are these people? It's like somebody walking in here, and they turn to me, and they go like, who are all of them? Why are they here? See, whenever something needs to be emphasized, often scholars Asked a rhetorical question. And there's something that's happening here. Who are they? Clothed in white robes. For where have they come? And I said, Sir, you know. You know. And then the elder said, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white. And the blood of the Lamb. There's people around the throne of God. Ones that's honoring Jesus. Who has persevered. It's ones that have stayed faithful. Through trial and tribulation. It's ones that has continued to fight the good fight. The ones that has washed their robes white. And the blood of the Lamb. See, I I look at this and I can't help but think about that last part of washing. And and more specifically, washing of clothes. I read this and I was just thinking on on washing. And specifically, I was thinking about my son's school shirt. I brought it with me this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know why schools thought that a white shirt is the greatest, best idea for a school uniform. 
most church, oh, most uh, churches, most schools will have a white shirt as a uniform. If you're a parent with a kid with a white shirt, you would know where I'm going to. See, every day, my son leaves our home in this beautiful, crisp, white shirt, and he goes to school. And guess what? After five to six hours, he comes back from school, and this is not white. Regardless of what happened at school, never do they return with a clean white shirt. There's always an excuse. Oh, today I messed some juice on my shirt. Sorry, Dad. I was just in a hurry. I had to quickly drink juice all over. No, no, Dad. Today, one of my friends, they were bored, and they just went with their marker, and there's this mark over my shirt. I don't know if parents of other kids are always drawing on your kids' shirts. I'm afraid that my kid might be drawing on some of your kids' shirts. But, oh, sorry, Dad. This is is marker. Or there's this green grass stains. Any moms of dads, oh, moms of sons, dads also have them. But any moms of sons knows what I'm talking about, those green grass stains. Two weeks ago, my son had rugby practice after school. And he forgot his rugby clothes. Instead of just going, hey, next week's again practice, he went, well, this is a great idea. (laughs) He came back. That was the time when it was raining quite a lot. He came back, and I kid you not, there was not an inch of white on that shirt. It was brown. And different shades of brown. But what caught me was the proudness that he walked into the house. Oh, Dad, we had a great rugby practice. I immediately, luckily, Lenny wasn't at home. I was afraid that she might have like a heart attack. I went like, you take that shirt off and we're going to put it in the washing. Your mom's not going to even see it. Every day, he leaves in a white shirt. Every day, it comes back dirty. Keeping a white shirt clean is almost impossible. Every time he wears it, it needs to be cleaned. Every day, we enter a world that is dirty with sin. Every day, we enter a world that's full of hardship, cruelty, injustice, selfishness, and hatred. And every day as we live in this world, our souls get dirty. It's inevitable. It's inevitable living in this world that we will not face the sin in this world. We will not face the sin in our own hearts. And every day, our hearts need to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. Every day, the gospel needs to cleanse us, make us clean, clean our hearts, clean our souls. 
See, we call this process of cleansing, of cleaning, sanctification. Where God, through His Spirit and through His words, transforms us every day to look more and more like His Son, Jesus. Every day we enter the world clean, but we get dirty. But every day Jesus is offering up His blood to wash us clean. We honor God by being willing to be sanctified. It's an intentional way of living that's saying, I've not arrived. And I need Jesus. I need Jesus to cleanse me today. I need to say, God, would you come and come and wash my heart, wash my emotions, wash the sin. It's a process of sanctification. And sanctification happens when we realize how dependent we are on Jesus and our willingness to obey Him. It's living close to God and saying, God, what do you want me to do? And as I apply it, by His grace and His Spirit washes us, sanctifies us, and He cleanses us. And that will make us persevere. That will help us to stay faithful in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of trials and tribulations. And that will help us end up around the throne of God in white robes, washed by the blood of Lamb, saying, you are worthy of it all. You alone are God. We will never reach the world if we're not willing to say, God, start with me. Change my heart. Change my soul. Wash me clean. Sanctify me for your name's sake and your kingdom. If we want to walk in unity, we need to unite around the honor of God. And the honor of God means that we strive towards unity and diversity. We look at people and love people and treat people the way that God treats them. We worship God through our lives, laying down our lives, saying it's about you and it's not about us. And it's a, we honor God by saying, God, would you sanctify me? Every day, I'm living close to you. I'm asking you to, by your word and by your spirit, change me that I would look more and more and more like you, Jesus. May people look at my life and they see your image, your character. Then you will be honored. As we're honoring God, this is what we're trying to do as a spiritual family. My question this morning is, if you're part of this family, would you honor God in the same way? Would you build unity in diversity? Value people, love people, forgive quickly, sacrificially build community. Would you lay down your life and worship God, testifying that He is worthy of so much more? Faithful in your giving, faithful in your serving, faithful in reaching out, laying down your life. But you do be willing to be sanctified. Pray, God, would you change me? Let's close our eyes.
And I want to give you an opportunity this morning before I just pray for us and end for us. If you're sitting here and you say, God, I need you to change me. This is your opportunity to ask, God, would you come and cleanse me and wash me clean? So there we are. Would you ask God, God, would you show me my life? Would you show me how I value and love others? Would you show me how I'm laying down my life, I'm worshiping you? Would you show me the condition of my soul? there's anyone this morning that says, God, I need you to come and cleanse me and wash me clean and sanctify me. Again, I want to say, Jesus, it's about you. It's not about me. Would you come and change my heart? If that's you this morning, I would love to pray with you. And I do trust that by God's Spirit, He's going to do something in you. But if that's you, would you for a moment stand? Just an act of saying, God, I'm willing to be sanctified. so Lord I thank you for every person that's standing thank you that by your spirit and in your faithfulness you're gracious and loving and you're touching them now Lord and I pray your blood over their lives now Lord Jesus the forgiveness of sins I pray that you would now send your spirit to renew their souls strengthen them Lord and Lord I pray that as they put their faith and trust and hope in you Lord that you would come and forgive them but also, Lord, that you would bring new life to their bodies. And Lord, I pray that you would bring and start the process of transformation, that they would see you being reflected in their lives. Grace them with your presence, Lord. And may you come and change them and wash them clean in this moment. And thank you for the faith that we can have, knowing that you are faithful and what you have done is enough. I pray for these people, Lord. I honor you and I thank you for what you're doing in their lives now. Lord, I pray for us as a church. May we never stop honoring you. May you grace us to build in unity through our diversity. May you help us to lay down our lives and so that our lives may testify that you are worthy, a life of worship. And Lord, may you continue to sanctify us for the sake of your kingdom, for your name, and for what you've called us to. We love you, Lord. It's about you. It's not about us. And may you be honored through our lives. And all of us say, Amen. Thank you, Akif.